Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and uh, I am so excited that you guys are here. Whether you're joining us here in Montrose or online or Hancock, uh, it is really a delight to be here with all of you. And uh, I have the privilege of pastoring our Conklin campus, and so I recognize that many of you don't know me or my family, and so I just want to take a moment and introduce you to my family. Here's my wife, Shana. We've been married for 16 years. That is a long time to put up with me, okay, guys? Uh, we have five kids. You did count those kids right. Uh, Juliet, Andrew, uh, Edmund, Violet, and Evelyn. And uh, there will not be a quiz later, so relax. And uh, our house, as you can imagine, is filled with energy, chaos, and conflict. I mean, every day our house has conflict, but not just like one conflict. It's just like a storm of conflict that just keeps on brewing up. In fact, just last week, my five-year-old peed on the bathroom floor. No reason, just because, just maybe out of spite. I'm not really sure, but, but that really made me think, uh, like, how old was Lucifer when he rejected God? <laughs> After last week, I think he was a five-year-old boy. Five-year-old boys live for creating chaos and conflict, right? And if I had found that pee, it would not have been a big deal, right? I can deal with that. However, it was the bare feet of my eight-year-old daughter who found those golden treasures. And so there she was. She realized she had stepped in pee, and all of a sudden, she began to totally freak out. And she is yelling at him, yelling and screaming. While all of that is going on, our 22 month is upstairs trying to nap. And so we are trying to calm the storm. And she's yelling, she's freaking out. And I don't know if you've ever tried to solve problems with somebody who is irrational, but we're saying things like, it's no big deal, right? Just, just wipe off your feet. We'll clean off your feet. It's not, it's okay. But now she wants to completely change her outfit. And she wants to go upstairs, and she's going to go upstairs, and she's going to be loud about all of that. I don't know if you've ever dealt with something like that. I know many of you have kids, and you, you've seen that, right? You're, you're imagining this playing out in your very own house. And so we're trying to calm her down. And while we're trying to calm her down, her panic and tantrum is getting bigger and louder, and she goes upstairs, not like a normal person, but like an elephant, and while she does that, she wakes up our youngest. And so now the, the storm has reached the top of the house. It is getting bigger and bigger. And I don't know if you have ever dealt with something like that or if you have a strategy for dealing with conflict, but I would, I would love to hear it. But sometimes you don't have to go looking for conflict, right? Conflict comes looking for you. Or sometimes your younger brother leaves it on the bathroom floor for you. But today, I'm going to give you five strategies for dealing with conflict. Are you ready? If you have your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of the context. You see, the Apostle Paul has been going all over the Roman Empire, sharing the gospel with people. 
And as he's been sharing the gospel with people, he's been uh, creating these, these communities of Jesus followers and turning them into churches. And then he writes letters to these various churches, encouraging them, trying to help them, answering this, their questions. And the book of Romans is one of those letters. And the book of Romans is, is addressing this church who's really divided because there's a group of Jewish believers inside that church. And then there's a group of non-Jewish believers, right? And they're divided on some things. Do you follow the Sabbath? Do we have to follow the Sabbath? Can we eat meat? Do we have to eat kosher? And they're divided on all of these different things. And Paul is, is going through one of the fullest explanations of the gospel because it's the gospel that unites. And as he's writing this letter, he begins to talk about relationships. And last week, Pastor Bob mentioned the one thing that every good relationship has in common is, is what? Respect. You guys weren't here. Is honor. Is honor. You have to go back and watch that. The one thing that every good relationship has in common is honor. And so that's where we pick up verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them and pray that God will bless them. Wait, what? You're saying if someone persecutes me, if someone hurts me, if someone wrongs me, if someone does evil to me, I should bless them and pray for them? I don't know about you, but inside of me, every fiber of my being wants to get them back, right? I mean, you're, you're probably like me. You want to tell everybody else about it. Do you know what so-and-so said? Do you know what they did to me? Can you believe? Right? And we start gossiping. Sometimes we even put it on social media or we want to give them the cold shoulder. We want to just totally freeze them out. Sometimes we like to put people in what I call the penalty box, right? You're going in the penalty box. You're staying in there until I say you are good and ready. The walls of defense go up. Maybe if you're like me, you get a little snarky and sarcastic, right? We have these ways of dealing with persecution and conflict and hurt and pain and sometimes we yell, sometimes we blow up. And I know many of you, because you're like the people that come to Conklin, and you don't yell, you look calm on the outside, but you just stuff everything deep down inside. How's that working for you? Do you remember this cute little rhyme? If you do, I want you to finish it with me. It goes like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will land me in counseling. <laughs> They very well may land you in counseling, but here, here it is. They will never hurt me, right? Now, whoever came up with that had obviously never been married or in a serious relationship because the, the reality is words do hurt us, right? They sound good, right? Like, I kind of want that to be, be true. Go back one more slide. Okay. Uh, we want that to be true. We want those, those, uh, those ideas to be concrete in our minds, right? Those words will never hurt us. But if you have a, a hero or a parent or someone that you look up to, man, those words or those lack of words can really stay with you, can't they? Right? Somebody has said something to you and that wounded you, that hurt you, and, and it maybe broke something inside of you. Maybe it broke something inside of your soul. 
and, and you've carried that, and it's, it's really changed the direction of your life. Somebody said something and impacted you in an extraordinary way, and the reality is that cute little rhyme is a cute little lie because sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can really hurt you, right? They've hurt you. They've had a significant impact in your life, but what, what does Paul say to do? Paul says to bless them. He says, bless them, and not just bless those people, but use those words to be an encouragement to them. And pray for those people, and not just pray for those people, but pray that God would bless them, right? That that if you want to overcome evil, we ought to bless those people. And, And he's talking about people who have persecuted you. And so if I should bless people who are persecuting me, how much more should I do that to people who aren't actually persecuting me? They're just being mean. They're just being unkind. They're just being rude. They're just being hard to deal with. How much more should I bless those people? And, and how much more should I pray for those people and ask God to bless them? And here's why that's so important, right? Because our words have an impact and they, they, you've felt the impact of those words. And so Paul is saying, make sure you have a strategy when it comes to your words, and it's this, control your tongue. That you and I, when we're in the midst of conflict, when you're in the midst of of that battle, the most important thing you might be able to do right then is just take a step back and control your tongue. That you're careful about what words you use because how many times would things have gone differently if you had not said what you said? How many times would things have gone differently if you could just retract that statement, if you could just erase it or just take it back and delete it? It would have gone a lot differently. And here's what Proverbs 18.21 says. The tongue. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. I mean, that's an incredible statement. That your words and my words have the ability to bring death, or life. You and I, we speak millions and millions of words that have the ability to to lift people up, to honor people like we talked about last week, or to totally destroy and tear them down. That you have the ability in hundreds and hundreds of conversations to breathe life into somebody, to encourage them, to lift them up, But you and I also have the ability to use our words to destroy and to tear people down. So later today, when you're in a conversation with your spouse, will you use your words to bring death or life? Later today, when you're in a conversation with your kids or your parents, will you use your words to bring death or life? Later this week, when you're talking to your neighbor or your coworker or that person that you see at the gym or the grocery store, will you use your words to bring death or life? And what Paul, Paul is getting at is that we need to control our tongue. What the author of Proverbs is getting at is that your words are not neutral. It's not, well, these are just like sort of in-between words. No, they are either life or death. And you and I, we have the ability to control our tongue. And here's what that looks like. It's, it's just taking a step back. 
and being really, really quick to listen and really, really slow to talk. And in the midst of that conflict, in the midst of that battle, in the midst of that argument, in the midst of whatever is going on right there in front of you, I think the most helpful thing for me is just to take a step back and go, okay, God, I don't know what to say. God, would you please give me wisdom? God, give me the words to say. God, help me to listen. Help me to ask good questions. God, I am fired up right now. I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm really confused. I'm discouraged. This is bothering me. God, help me to control my tongue and invite the king of the entire universe into that conflict, into that conversation right there and go, okay, God, I need your help because I know that my words can either bring death or life. But that's not it. Take a look at verse 15. He says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. When you're in the midst of a conflict, who are you thinking about? Me? Number one, right? I want to win. I want to show you how much I'm right. I want to prove to you that I know what I'm talking about. I want to prove that my idea is better. I want to prove to you that you are wrong. And he says, you know what you should do? You should be happy with those who are happy. But let me ask you this. When someone is being mean to you, rude to you, cruel, evil, or even persecuting you, are you happy for them when things go their way? No, I'm not, right? Secretly, I'm like, oh, how come that is always going their way? Like you, you secretly kind of want the train to go off a little bit of the tracks, right? And Paul says, no, be happy for them. And he says, when they're sad, then you're going, yes, it's going wrong, right? He, he says, weep with those who weep, right? Put yourself in their situation. Even though they're persecuting you, even though they're harming you, even though they're being mean to you, he says, what if we simply put our shoes in their feet and we begin to empathize with them? That they're happy, rejoice with them. If they're crying, if they're sad, just imagine what it's like to be in their story right now because every single person has a battle or a conflict, something going on behind the scenes that you and I just have no idea what's going on. Now, I'm not saying to justify what's happening. I'm not saying that what they did or what they said is okay. But what Paul is saying is we need to live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Why do I fight with people? Why do I argue with people? Why do I engage in those battles? Why do I just dig in? It's because I'm proud. It's because I, I, that pride begins to swell up inside of me. And, and then you know what? I've got rights and you owe me. You did something to me and I want to get you back. I want to make you pay. But this is what he says. We need to reap with those who weep and laugh with those who laugh and rejoice with those who are rejoiced. Be happy with those who are happy. And here's what he's getting at. The second strategy is that you and I would focus on others. Focus on others. In the midst of conflict, give me that next slide, please. Focus on others, that we would, we would begin to focus on them, not us, right? I'm thinking about them. I'm weeping with those who weep. I'm laughing with those who laugh. You remember the, 
the series we were in last year, being unoffendable, we asked this question, do you want to be right or righteous? Do you want to be right or righteous? Which is it? Right? Because sometimes we want to be right so badly that we will just sacrifice a marriage to be right. We want to be right so bad that we will sacrifice influence with our kids or our parents or our neighbors because we want to be right. And sometimes you're going to have to make a choice. In this conflict, do I want to be right or do I want to be righteous? Which is it? Stop attacking people. Start going after the problem. What is really the problem? And, and go after that. But then take a look at the third strategy. Look at verse 17. He says, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Wait, never pay back evil with more evil? Like, like how much is that? Like, is that like 90% never? Like, 80% never? Like, I thought Counseling 101 was like, you shouldn't use words like never or always, right? Have you heard that? And now Paul is saying, Tim, never pay back evil. Like, you mean never? Yes, never. You and I, when we are offended or hurt or wronged or sinned against, Paul says, don't do it. Don't go eye for an eye. Don't go tooth for a tooth. Never pay back evil. Instead, do such, do such things that everyone can see you and go, you know what, that was honorable. That's that word that we talked about last week. That this idea of honorable, being honor, showing honor, lifting somebody up in praise, talking to them in such a way that they begin to see things differently talking to them in such a way that they're lifted up and they're experiencing things differently. And that begins to change the way that they live their lives. And Paul says, you and I, we are called to be honorable. And so instead of putting up walls, instead of withholding affection, instead of, you know, coming back harder and louder and bigger, he says, be honorable. Keep on doing what is right. That's the next strategy, that you and I would, would keep on looking for what is the next right thing to do. In the midst of conflict, I've got to be able to take a step back and go, okay, what's the right thing to do now? In the midst of this conversation, what would it look like to control my tongue and use my words in a way that would be honorable? to say things, to ask questions, to love this person, to focus on them. Even though this, this battle is not going down easily, what do I do? How do I solve conflict? And so what we like to do is we like to point fingers, right? Well, he, he said this. Well, well, she did this. If she wouldn't have done this, if he wouldn't have done that, right? And Paul says, don't, don't get sucked into that that fight, right? Those are things that my kids would say, right? Instead, just keep doing what is right. And so drop down to verse 18. Here's what he says next. Do all that you can to live with peace with everyone. So there's going to be moments in your life where you go to somebody and you try to resolve conflict and they're just not having it, right? Right? 
You've been there. In fact, you go to them and you own your part of that pie and you're like, hey, you know what? What I said, what I did, that was wrong. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry. And they're just, they don't want to resolve anything. In fact, they're just digging in harder. They get angrier. They get louder, meaner, whatever it is, right? And maybe, maybe you try to extend forgiveness. Maybe you try to work as hard as you can to, to work on this reconciliation. You're doing your part, but it's not really seeming to take. And so Paul says, do all that you can. Whatever you can in your ability, whatever you're responsible for, do that and trust the rest to God and try to live in harmony and peace with everyone. Did you own your part? Yes. Did you listen to what they said? Yes. Did you ask forgiveness? Yes. Did you extend forgiveness if it was, a, it was something that needed to be done? Yes. Did you work to restore this relationship? Yes. But you look at the relationship and it's just not going back together the way that you hoped. And so sometimes we have these limitations and you need to recognize your limits. That's the next strategy, number four, that you and I would recognize our limits. I've done everything that I can. I've done my part in this relationship. I've tried. And so I'm gonna do my best to recognize my limits and to live in peace with everyone this is such a big deal, right? That we would entrust that to God. But take a look at the fifth strategy. Verse 19, he says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, <laughs> feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink, and in doing so, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Man, that's a crazy verse, right? That if your enemy has done something wrong, they've hurt you, they've offended you, they've sinned against you, they've, they've persecuted you, they've, they've totally tried to rip your life apart. He says, if you see them thirsty... Go bring him a cup of water. Buy him a coffee at Dunkin' or Starbucks. Or if you see them hungry, bring them a meal. Help them out. If you're at school and the school bully drops their books and you see that, go help them pick up their books. If you see that that person who's picked on you your whole life all of a sudden shows up and they don't have enough money for food, buy them a meal. You see them at a restaurant across, across the table and you know that they're there and, and everything is starting to brew up inside of you, buy them a meal. Love on them. This is amazing, right? He says, when you do that, you're gonna heap burning coals on their heads because you're letting God take care of their revenge. You're letting God take care of that individual who has hurt you, who has harmed you. He says, don't ever take revenge. Let God pay them back. I know inside of me, I just wanna get them back. I just wanna make them pay. I just wanna make their lives miserable. I want them to feel the same hurt 
that I have felt. And he says, you know what? Just let God take care of them. Isn't God better at that than you and I? And in doing so, it's like placing these hot coals on their heads. Um, I read that this was an Egyptian custom that when someone was showing remorse or shame, they would put a hot pan of coals on their head and they would walk. So for a guy like me, that's going to be really painful, all right? And what Paul is saying is when you feed them, when you give them something to drink, when you love on them, that's like putting shame of remorse on their head. The best way to get them back is to kill them with kindness. That's the next one, that you and I would kill them with kindness, right? That we would heap burning coals on their heads, that we would maybe give them anonymous gift, we would love them, whatever it is, right? And then Paul summarizes everything in one statement. Look at verse 21. He says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil, how? By doing good. That when you're in the midst of conflict, when you're fighting with your spouse, when you're fighting with your kids or your neighbor or your boss, there's an opportunity there. Evil can actually conquer and rule and overcome you. But you also have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to conquer evil, to overcome evil, and it's by doing good. That you would overcome evil with good. That's the opportunity that you and I have. That when we're trying to solve problems, when we're trying to overcome evil, we're not pointing fingers we're not attacking people. We're not running away. We're not just trying to make the situation worse. We're not shutting down and internalizing everything, but we're actually overcoming evil with good. That we're looking for those ways to overcome evil with good. And so we've been talking about what does it look like to solve problems? What does it look like to solve conflict? But these are really five strategies for overcoming evil. Let me just recap these, right? Controlling your tongue. Focusing on others. Keep doing what is right. Recognize your limits and kill them with kindness. And today, before you leave, we actually have a magnet for you with all of these strategies so that you can put it on your refrigerator and see it every single time you open up that refrigerator. It's a reminder for you that as you leave, my challenge to you is that you would pick one of these five and you would work on it. Now, I know some of you are here and you're like super overachievers and you're like, Tim, I got to work on all five of those. Awesome. Congratulations. Just pick one this week and ask yourself, okay, this week, do I need to work on controlling my tongue? Do I need to be really quick to listen and slow to speak? This week, do I need to work on focusing on others? Do I need to keep on doing what is right? Or do I need to recognize, hey, I've done everything that I've been able to, and I just got to entrust the results to God. I got to recognize I have limits. I can't fix everyone's problem. I can't make them change. Or do I need to kill them with kindness? And here's what I want you to do. If you're a guy, I want you to tell another guy which one of these you're going to work on this week. Before you leave, I want you to tell him if he's in this room or text him, hey, this week I heard a message on resolving conflict and I recognized I am terrible at controlling my tongue. 
I'm gonna work on it this week. Would you ask me how I'm doing? If you're a lady, I would, I would encourage you to do the same thing. Before you leave, say, hey, you know what? I'm not really good at focusing on others or whatever it is. Like one of these is probably really glaring at you right now that you would tell somebody, you would text somebody, you would say, hey, this week I want to work on, I need to work on one of these. Would you follow up with me and ask me how I'm doing? And so just imagine, what if we stopped trying to one-up each other and we started choosing to overcome evil with good? Imagine what would happen. Imagine what would happen in your house this week if you began to stop one-upping and you started overcoming evil with good. Imagine what would happen in your dating relationship or in your classroom, or on your team, or in your workplace, if you began to overcome evil with good. And we've put together a bunch of resources for you, not just this magnet, but we have them here on our website. And so if you want to get a hold of those, there's going to be resources regarding everything that we're talking about in this series on relationships. And so go ahead and scan that QR code. There's a whole bunch of resources. And we're going to be getting into topics like marriage next week, and then abuse coming up. And so there is a lot of tools coming your way, and we want to make those available for all of you. But um, my big challenge to you is let's not one-up each other this week. Let's overcome evil with good. Let me pray. God, you are amazing. It's amazing that in your grace and your mercy, you continue to, to pour out your love on us. I recognize that there's a lot of uh, families here that are just struggling. I know there's families that are just wrestling with conflict. And this is just beginning to scratch the surface of it. I pray that as we begin to implement some of these strategies, you would help us. You would breathe new life into our relationships as we begin to overcome evil with good, that you would breathe new life into our marriages, new life in, into the relationships with our kids, into our coworkers, with our, with our friends, with our employer, with our employee, that all on all fronts, we would be individuals who continue to make much of you. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks.